Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, we're, we're journeying through the Gospel of Luke. We're on an earth walk looking at the life of Jesus. And we've, we've come to chapter 7. And chapter 7 is very interesting because Luke kind of shifts things for a moment. He, he's keeping Jesus in the forefront, but he's kind of showing us Jesus interacting with different individuals. And he wants us to learn some things. So like last week, we saw that Jesus was interacting with a centurion. And we saw about the great faith that he had because he just put his faith in Jesus and knew that Jesus could do it. Today he's going to take us to another person. We don't really see a lot about her, but her life tells us another aspect of faith. Because this woman is in a situation where she doesn't have any. All hope is gone. All hope is lost. In fact... As I was trying to think of a title for this, I, I realized that really she was beyond desperation. Do you understand what desperation is? When you're desperate for something to happen, there's that glimmer of hope that maybe somebody, something, can intervene and bring about a solution to your problem. But this woman is actually beyond desperation. Now, I think it's very important that, that Luke shares this with us. Because here's what the trap that we can fall into. And a lot of people fall into it today. In fact, we have some in our Christian circles who promote this kind of thinking. That as long as you have faith like this centurion, God's going to do it for you. God's going to be there. God's going to answer you. God's going to provide your answer. He's going to work. Because if you have faith like that centurion, everything's going to be okay. But the problem is, folks, we all don't have that kind of faith. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we are in circumstances, like for instance, the reason why that centurion had that faith, let me remind you, is because he heard about Jesus and he sent folks to Jesus for Jesus to come and take care of it. He had faith in Jesus taking care of it, period. But now we're going to face a woman who's in a situation that's beyond her control, And she has no hope. She had no clue that Jesus was going to show up that day. And I think it's going to teach us something, that the reality of God working in our lives is not ultimately tied to your faith. It's tied to Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you can have a trap where, if I only had enough faith, if I only have enough faith, and then when it doesn't happen, I must not have had enough faith. That's not it at all. So let's look at what's going on here. We're going to see in our passage this incident with this woman. So look with me at verse 11 through 17. Now it happened the day after that that he went into a city called Nain, and many of the disciples went with him and a large crowd. I mean, this is typical. Jesus, anywhere he goes now, he's got a large following. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. 
And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he, was pre- and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding regions. We can basically take this passage and divide it into three parts. And basically we're going to see when hope is lost. We're going to see the response of compassion. And then we're going to see the reaction to Jesus. So let's talk about when hope is lost. First of all, here's what's going on. Jesus, they're saying, Luke is telling us, the next day after his incident with the centurion, he's with his disciples. A large group is with him. They travel into Nain. Now, if you look on a map, you're not going to find Nain. In fact, nobody knows today where Nain is. Nain is kind of like just a little bitty town, a little bitty village. Uh, to help you to understand, you know, if Capernaum is like Clearfield, Kellytown is like Nain. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Jesus is with his disciples. They're probably just passing through. But as they're, they're going through, they come to Nain. And as they enter into Nain, there's a funeral procession. Now, I'll explain to you what's going on here. There would be the widow. So it tells us there's a widow. And her only son is dead. And the folks are carrying his body. Now, your, my King, New King James says an open coffin. That is not what the word is. It's actually a funeral buyer or it's basically a plank or a couch, as they would say, and the body would be laid on top of that. So the Jewish custom of that day was that they would bury bodies immediately. There was no embalming. That when someone died, they would immediately bury the body. So obviously that young man died that day. And so what they did is they put his body on a plank, and they were carrying the plank out to bury him. Now, here's what would happen in that day. So, there's the mom. She's a widow. This is her only son. She's with the body. There's obviously people carrying the body for her. And there's a large crowd. So, it's basically folks from that community following the funeral bear. And some of them are professional mourners. Let me explain to you. In that day, they would have, you know, how many people showed up to your death really said about how what kind of person you are. So if, if you were a very important person, you would hire a lot of folks to come and mourn your death. And so there are probably professional mourners there, although I doubt that because she's a widow, she doesn't have anything. But probably it's the community turning out in sorrow for her. Because I want you to understand, this woman's situation was desperate in the first place. It now got even more so. Because in the Old Testament times, in those times in ancient Palestine, here's what's going on. There were people who were basically neglected. And they were the widows and the orphans. And they were the ones who basically would starve or they would be in destitute. Now, here's this lady. Her husband dies, but she's kind of okay because she still has a son to take care of her. But the problem is, the son now is dead. 
And so that's the situation we're in. So I want you to see several things about when hope is lost. The first thing I want you to see about her is this. She was utterly helpless. She was utterly helpless. Folks, you don't understand what she would be facing. She would have no one to provide food for her. Do you understand what I'm saying? A widow in that day, if they had no relatives, basically would be left to beg. Would be left at the mercy of whoever else would take care of her. And a lot of times in that day, I'll just be honest with you, times were tough, and they're tough as they are right now, folks would take advantage of her. Injustice would be done to her. She would be utterly helpless in that situation. There she is. She's endured two pains in her life, the loss of her husband and now the loss of her child. And now she has to endure destitute, the possibility of starving to death. Here's what else I want you to see about her. She had no hope for the future. She had no hope for the future. There's no hope for her now. You know, as long as her son was alive, there was hope for the future. As her son was alive, he could maybe grow up and, and take care of the fields. Maybe they had a, you know, a, a portion of property or whatever. He could provide, you know, and, and maybe you know, he could get married if they could find someone, and then there would be grandchildren, and there was a hope for the future. But here, I want you to understand, and that was very important in that day, because in that day, you carrying on your family name was a big thing. You carrying on the family lineage was a big thing. Don't you remember? Go all the way back to the book of Ruth. Remember Naomi? When she came back, she was brokenhearted because now her husband was dead and both of her sons were dead. Why? Because no one would be able to carry on the family name. That was a big thing in Israel. She had no hope for the future. This is the situation the woman is in. Which brings me to my next point. There is a point beyond desperation. There is a point beyond desperation. Every, a lot of us have been desperate before, haven't we? Nod your head, yes. You've been desperate before. You've been desperate for God to do something. And when you're desperate, there's still a glimmer of hope in your life. Like there's some sort of redemption here. There's some sort of somebody can do something. There's some way out of this problem. There's so, and you're desperate. You're desperate for somebody. You don't know who it is, but you're desperate for somebody to show up and take care of the problem and get me out of this situation. There is a point called desperation. We've been there. But my friends, listen to me. There is a point beyond desperation. There's a point beyond it. And we don't like to go there. And it's a point where there is no longer any hope. There is no longer a future. And some folks, when they get to that point, they take matters into their own hands. And this is where this woman's at. She's at a point beyond desperation. There's no way out of it. And the worst thing you could do for a woman like this is come alongside of her and say, well, you just need to have faith. And if you had enough faith, things might be different. Isn't that the line we give people today in the church? We need our heads examined. There is a point beyond desperation. And that's what we see here. We see when all hope is lost. She was utterly helpless. She had no hope for the future. She is beyond desperation. She's beyond it. Do you understand, from a human standpoint, she might as well just give up and die because there's no hope. I mean, she's facing death anyhow. But I want you to see something about this passage. I mean, Luke is bringing it out to us because 
when there seems to be no hope, there is always hope. And so I want you to notice the response of compassion. Because what we see here is this. I want you to look with me. Let's read it again. It happened on the day after as they went into the city called Nain, that many of the disciples with him and a large crowd. And when they came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was carrying out, was being carried out. The only son of his mother, who and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. 13 is key. And when the Lord saw her, and when the Lord saw her, see, this is what I want you to understand. You can be beyond desperation. You can have no hope whatsoever anymore. You could wonder, how am I going to get out of this? And, and you know, I don't even have the faith anymore. But that's not about you. It's about Jesus. Because look at what it says. There's this woman, she's in this desperate situation. But when the Lord saw her, notice the response of compassion. Look at what it says there. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Here's what I want you to see. First thing I want you to see about the response of compassion is that Jesus feels her pain. Jesus feels her pain. You say, how did you get that from there? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Our English translation uses the word compassion. I don't think it is strong enough. The word actually means, when you look at the original languages there and what was being used, it's that when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her. It's, it says he felt something deep within him. It actually, the word means it felt something deep within his intestines. He felt something, really the pain within him for her. You understand what I'm saying? It goes beyond pity. He really was feeling what this woman was going through. This is Jesus now. Do you understand what I'm saying? He sees this woman. He knows her situation. Everybody there knows what her situation is. Jesus looks at her, and from the very insides of him, from the very innermost being of him, feels pain for her. That's compassion. He feels for her. He knows her pain. He knows exactly what she's going through. He probably knows better than anyone there what will happen to her because he's God. Isn't that an awesome thought? You know, sometimes, let's stop for a moment. You've got to remind yourself of that. You're going through something right now. We've got a good group of people here, and, and I, I don't know everything that's going on in your life this week and what's going on next week, and I don't know what you're dealing with and what you're going to deal with, but, you know, well, here's the reality. Some of you here, the reality is is that you're facing a situation and you're beyond desperate. And the thought enters into our mind, does he even care? Does God even know what's going on? I'm telling you folks, he saw her. And when he saw her from the very most innermost part of his being, he felt for her. He feels for you. He feels for you. So he feels her pain. And let me explain something. We hear that a lot. We have politicians who get on the news and they'll say, I feel your pain. No, they don't. I know they're not changing the way they're living. Jesus felt the pain. And here's what he says. Here's what he does. Here's what Jesus does. He comforts her. Jesus comforts her. He takes time for her. He looks at her and he says to her, Woman, don't weep. Don't cry. Do not weep. See, God is the comforter. And He's described as the God of all comfort. He'll come to you. 
I mean, it's one thing to just sense and know and feel for someone, but it's another thing to be there for them, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's being there for her. Because I, I want you to see this. You've got to picture it in your mind. You understand? Here they are. They're walking along the road. Jesus with his disciples. He's got a crowd with him. They're coming up to this village. There's a funeral procession coming down. There's the men carrying the body out. There's the woman. She's probably weeping. She is weeping, I'm sure. Jesus sees this. He knows exactly what's going on. He feels the pain within him for her. Now, here's what most of us will do. We'll just walk on by. Well, we feel for him, but we'll walk on by and we'll let the procession go on by. But we'll feel for her. We'll, we'll feel the pain for her because maybe you've gone through something similar or you know somebody or maybe, you know, whatever. You feel for her, but we'll walk on by. But Jesus doesn't walk on by, folks. He doesn't walk on by. He reaches over to her and says, don't weep. He comforts her. Isn't that awesome about God? God doesn't walk on by. Sometimes we've got the thought he just walks on by in our situation. He doesn't walk on by. He comforts her. And then I want you to notice what he does. Here's what he does. I mean, he goes beyond just simple comfort, simple empty words, because, I mean, think about it. If he didn't do what he was going to do, his words would just be simply empty, wouldn't they? Here's what he did. Jesus does the impossible. I mean, think about it, folks. The young man is dead. And though we have experienced death in our lives and we have had loved ones die and we wish that we could just simply speak the word and raise them up, we can't do that. But Jesus looks to him. First of all, it says he does, he, he, Jesus, Jesus is beyond our comprehension. I mean, think about it. First of all, first thing John, Luke tells us is, is that Jesus reaches over and touches the plank that the body's on. My translation says an open coffin, but... They didn't have coffins like we have today. So it's a funeral plank. He touches the funeral plank. First of all, for him to do that in their culture and in their, their, their ceremonial laws and everything would make him unclean before God. So, I mean, he doesn't care less about the ceremonial laws. He goes over and he touches and he says to the young man, young man, rise up. And he does. And he begins to speak. That's impossible. He does the impossible. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that woman would love to have her son back, but in her, the reality of her heart and her mind, she never would have ever believed that could happen. He was gone. And here comes this man. First of all, he tells her not to weep. You ever been at a funeral and had somebody tell you not to weep? You just want to... I'm serious. Like, what are you talking about? And then he says, rise up. And he gives you back your son. Jesus does the impossible. That's God. Now let me just stop for a moment. Let's, let's, everybody understand something here. Look at this passage with me. Just kind of take your Bible there. I want you to look through verse 11 through verse 15. Just read it to yourself there for a moment. Look at what it says. Okay, let me ask you a question, folks. Did she ask Jesus to do something? No. Does it say that she had great faith for it to happen? No. What is the emphasis of the passage, folks? It's Jesus and Him looking at your situation and Him responding and Him reaching out and doing the impossible. That's God. Even when you are beyond desperation, you don't have any faith or any hope, God still works. Isn't that awesome? 
That blows my mind. When I'm beyond, he still works. In fact, isn't that what the Apostle Paul says later on? He says that when we no longer know how to pray, he prays for us with groanings, cannot be heard. Sometimes people think that that is reference to our groanings in reference to how we speak to him. But no, with groanings, if you look at the context of that passage, it's talking about the groanings of what we endure in this life. That there's a point when you endure so much, you don't even know how to pray anymore. But God prays for you. That's the compassion of Jesus. That's the response of Jesus. Now, I want you to notice in verse 16 through 17, that the crowd sees this, and I, I mean, folks, if you were there, if we were at, let's say, let's say we're at Kerbinsville Days, and it's a big parade, and all of a sudden somebody brings by a body, and some guy walks up with a big crowd there, and raises somebody from the dead, isn't that going to get your attention? I mean, that stuff doesn't happen. So I want you to notice the reaction of the crowd. Look with me at verse 16 and 17. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all surrounding area. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, he provokes fear and awe. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. If you were there, I think you'd be scared too. I think you'd be scared too if somebody could do that. Raise the dead. You would realize, man, there's some kind of power here that I don't even understand. And that's what they, fear was among them. And awe. There's a great prophet in Israel now. God has visited us. And so it provokes an awe and fear among us. You want to, can I be honest with you folks? We don't have any clue. Because I would say one thing about the church today in North America, one thing that we've lost is our fear and our awe. Just listen to it. Listen, we have praise time. Praise the Lord. Thank God for answering this prayer. And everybody else is going, oh. When are, we, when are we going to get out for the game? God brought healing to that person's life. Well, that's cool. What's for lunch? Do you know what I'm saying? F- folks, here, I- I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I've been here nine years. We have seen miracles take place in this church. But how quickly we forget. They should have produced within our heart fear. Oh, God, you are God. You are real. They should have produced in our heart, Ah, Lord, you do care about us. You do work. But all they produce in our lives are yawns. And what's next on the agenda? See, the reaction to Jesus, and and I understand, you know, if, if we were there, Jesus there, yeah, we might react a little bit more. And But the reality is, is God is among us, and He is doing things. But we just become too comfortable with it, don't we? He provokes fear and awe. And and here's what's going on. Even though it provoked fear and awe, here's the other reaction. They did not grasp who he was. How how do you get that, George? Look at what he says in verse 16. They, they, They were in fear and they glorified God. And here's what they said. A great prophet has risen among us. And then they turned their direction, not from Jesus, but to God. And God has visited his people. Those two statements really say that they don't understand who he is. They just think of Jesus as just some other prophet, and then they don't realize that it's God standing there in the midst of them. They don't grasp who he is. 
Here he is. He's, he's worked in the midst of her desperate, beyond desperate situation. And they have no clue who he is. They don't grasp it. They don't grasp it. How do we apply this to our life? Well, let me ask you this question. Have you lost all hope? Have you lost all hope? Are you here today? And I don't know what it is. You know what it is. I mean, it could be a financial situation. It could be a health situation. It could be a family situation. I mean, we could go on and on talking about problems, can't we? But I do know this. You could be in a situation right now. And I understand, even right now, in in, in our economy, times are tough. And you don't have any hope anymore. Everything you thought would work hasn't worked. Every plan you come up with only makes matters worse. Your networking doesn't work anymore. And you are beyond desperate now. In fact, you're trying to figure out what's going to be on your epitaph. You're, you're trying to figure out what's going to be said in your eulogy because that's it. You're done. You're toast. You're history. Have you lost all hope? I'm sure somebody here today, and you may not even be aware of it, is around you and they have lost all hope. Have you lost all hope? Brings me to another thing. Then you need to realize this. Jesus knows our deepest needs. See, when you're at that point where you've lost all hope, you begin, it does weird things, funny things with your mind. And, And here's the weird stuff it does with your mind. You begin to think, that he is no longer aware of what's going on with you. And you begin to think that he can no longer do anything with you. And you begin to, you begin to have a skewed view of God. And what I want you to understand is that even though you maybe have gotten to that point of beyond desperation in your life, Jesus knows our deepest needs. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what you're facing. He knows what the outcome will be. He knows the outcome better than you know it yourself. He knows what your needs are that you don't even know. When I read that passage and it says that he had compassion on them, and I understand what the word means, that from his innermost being, from from his intestines, his gut-wrenching pain for us, he knows our deepest needs. You say, well, that's just for that woman, George. Are you sure? I mean, how can you apply that to us? Well, you know, you go over to Matthew chapter 9, and it, it says this, that when Jesus saw the crowds and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, it says, again, the same word, that he had what? Compassion on them. This, my friends, I want you to understand, is the nature of Jesus. He feels for us, and he knows our deepest needs. Isn't it interesting? He knows that, but we don't go to him. We don't talk to him. We don't tell him. We don't say to him, God, you know better than I do what's going on in my life right now. And then finally, allow Jesus to become your supreme treasure. What do you mean by that, George? Well, I want you to think about that. These folks saw Jesus do something and they didn't grasp him. But you know what? You and I understand who Jesus is. And we have to move beyond just simply making Jesus just our Savior, or simply even just saying Jesus is our Lord, we need to get to the place where we say that Jesus is our supreme treasure. That without Jesus, I am nothing. And that Jesus, 
because of his understanding of my deepest needs, because he shows compassion on me, because he does work in my life. I love him so much. He is more important to me than anything. You need to allow Jesus to become that important to you. He needs to become your supreme treasure. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.